Welcome to the Guardian Mindset Podcast, presented by attorney Eric Daigle. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next edition of the Guardian Mindset Podcast. Uh, we're going to go back to a, a good friend of DLG uh, because there's been so much interesting stuff occurring with the First Amendment. I want to make sure that as often as we can, we keep you updated. And there's nobody that has a better finger on the pulse of these type of issues than attorney Mickey Ostriker. Mickey, welcome back to the show. Well, it's great to be back here. Thanks, Eric. Uh, especially with you and I, uh, our schedule is crazy as can be. So any chance we get to actually talk, I truly appreciate it. Me too. One of the things I wanted to start off, I got a whole bunch of topics to talk to you about because you'd think we just had the First Amendment Summit just in May or end of May, June, where we got together and gave everybody the details. And I appreciate, again, your involvement in that because it's it's very... Uh, important but here we are just a a few months after the the first amendment summit and look at there's all sorts of new first amendment issues to talk about yes there there seems to be a, a never-ending line of things to talk about but you know i guess that's job security yeah i thought you wanted to retire though yeah well i do so will everybody just behave themselves and then i'm good to go well, just for everybody to remember, I can't. I think we had you back at this show early in 2022. Um, but uh, Mickey Ostriker, uh, an attorney, is general counsel for the National Press Photographers Association, also known as MPPA. He's a member of the New York State Bar Association, a media law committee, and the American Bar Association. Uh, he's what we really appreciate here at DLG because. He's been a photojournalist for over 35 years, so he's walked the walk and talked the talk, and uh, still even acts as a photographer. But uh, he's involved in issues all across the country, issues such as cameras in courtrooms and federal shield laws and media credentialing of the NFL and Major League Baseball, uh, and writes regularly for the MPPA magazine. And the reason why I wanted to bring him back today is because up to this point, Mickey used to always say in training that the odd circuit's court of appeals had a clearly established law that there was a right for citizens to record police. And Mickey, we have an addition now. We have the we have an even circuit jumping on board, huh? We do. Finally, that finally have the 10th circuit. But, but, but before we get to that, the one little thing you left out, which is very near and dear and very important to me, and I think to you too, is I've been a uniform reserve deputy sheriff in Erie County, New York, uh, since 1976. So I understand and appreciate the challenges of law enforcement, but I also appreciate the fact that we all swore an oath to uphold the Constitution. So it's not like they're mutually exclusive in terms of press rights and uh, policing. You mean the Constitution's not just for the benefit of those who want it? Uh, no, no. Which is something we should all be able to agree on. Yes, we should be, right? So uh, tell me about the Irizarry case and the 10th Circuit's decision to join the odd circuits with the clearly established law of right to record. So before we before we get to that, we'll talk about the 10th Circuit and what they did in the case just before it, because we've talked about that in, in, uh, in the First Amendment Summit. And there was a case called uh, Frazier v. Evans, where Mr. Frazier was out and he recorded police doing something and uh, they wanted to see his recording and he refused and one thing led to another. He brought the 1983 action. Um, 
the he also brought a Manel claim, which basically is a failure to train and supervise. And the court granted a qualified immunity to the officers because the right to record had not been clearly established uh, in in the Tenth Circuit at the time of the incident. Uh, but then uh, when they got to the Manella claim, um, the officers all testified, oh, we've been trained. It's our department's policy. We understand citizens have a right to record us. And the judge said, wait a minute, time out. I'm giving you qualified immunity, but you're telling me you had actual knowledge. It doesn't really work. So he, he brought that back. And 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 um, the city, and this is Denver, appealed and went up to the 10th Circuit. And the 10th Circuit basically said, we don't really care that there are all the odd-numbered circuits. We didn't say that the right is clearly established. Therefore, you get qualified immunity. And that was the end of that case. But along uh, came Irizarry v. Yahia, and um, Mr. Irizarry, uh, again, was out uh, photographing uh, some, some incidents uh, that where there was police activity, and things were going along pretty well. The officers there didn't mind, but Officer Yahia showed up and uh, started shining his flashlight uh, at the camera. This was at night. And uh, if you shine a flashlight at digital cameras, they don't, they don't really see too well when they're trying to see in the dark. And, uh, you know, so this kind of was, he was now escalating the situation. And um, actually to the point that the other officers asked him to leave. Um, when he left, um, he also, at least it's been alleged in, in all the pleadings that he gunned his engine and drove his car at the folks with the camera and then and drove off. So there was no actual arrest or any of that, but they brought the 1983 action uh, just the same in terms of uh, interfering with their First Amendment rights to photograph and record. Um, lower court said, uh, yeah, that's qualified immunity. The right's not clearly established, and the case went up to the 10th Circuit again. And uh, somehow uh, the 10th Circuit, you know, looked at it and, and said, well, you know, even though it's not controlling, there's all these other odd numbered circuits. And lo and behold, this time around, they said, and then they looked at another case in the 10th Circuit. Uh, it's called Western Watershed. Um, and it's funny because uh, NPPA was involved in that case. It was out of Wyoming and involved uh, actually what's called data trespasses. It's like if you, I, I don't want to kind of get too far afield, but at any rate, they looked at that because in that case they said, well, there's a right to record. So they basically, and, and that case actually was in between Frazier and this one. So when they looked at it again, we said, no, 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 no. Now the right is clearly established in this case and therefore a no qualified immunity. And so um, they've once again now clearly established uh, that right. And, and we were telling folks to keep an eye on this case. And, and as it turned out, that's exactly what happened. We may get another uh, even-numbered one in the Fourth Circuit. And, uh, and, and I'll, I'll uh, briefly just tell you about this. So there's a traffic stop. Passenger is not only recording, but live streaming. And um, they're like, yeah, we know the right to record. That's fine. He could have been recording, but this live streaming 
we're we're concerned about officer safety because if these images are out there live, people can know where they are, and then all of a sudden we can get a big crowd. And so so really, the 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 claim here, the question presented here is is live streaming, um, you know, going to be a clearly established right? It's kind of up there, but what's interesting is that they almost and they did in some of the pleadings say, you know, we know the right to record is clearly established. So we're going to see what the, if the Fourth Circuit uh, comes up and says, yeah, yeah, you're right. We agree. But what's your thought on that? Um, I think it's going to be really hard to parse out what somebody's doing with a camera. Are they holding it up and texting? Are they holding it up and playing Wordle? Are they holding it up? Talking, talking to their friends. Are they holding it up and recording? Are they holding it up and live streaming? And you know, Eric, you know really well that that whole content-based inquiry is a real no-no when it comes to the First Amendment. Uh, if the, if somebody has to decide, you know, what the content is and whether you can do it or not, most courts have a real problem with that. So I, I think they're not going to be able to parse that out. I think we're, and I've said this before when I've talked with you, uh, where I think we're going to see that distinguishes this was a passenger. I don't know whether, because officers need to see hands and all of that when there's a driver, um, whether the driver, if they've got a camera in their hand, if they maybe can record somehow without doing it and holding it, yes, but we'll see. But it's it's going to be one of those as you, you know, one of your favorites, it's going to be the totality of the circumstances and it's going to be very fact-driven. So, um, uh, officer, that officer safety issue seems that, you know, that's always a general thing. Sometimes we use it right. directly and sometimes we use it as a crutch. Uh, but, but that seems to be, uh, cause there is a couple of cases in the past, um, even, even in the cell phone case, the worry in the Riley case where they talked about, you know, calling Confederates to the area in this officer safety issue associated with that. Right. Yep. And we, and we do hear it a lot. And, uh, um, uh, we're going to talk about this probably in a little bit in Arizona, but, uh, you know, as I've said, it's unfortunate when rather than it being whatever the law is being a shield for officer safety, that instead it's used as a sword against, somebody that you may not want to actually be recording right right and uh so for everybody just to remember i mean we recommend that all departments have a recording police policy in that recording police policy basically makes it clear that uh citizens have the right to record law enforcement in their in their operation there's a caveat to it which we'll get into a little bit now and the caveat is that they can't interfere in the police operations. Now, usually, before I, I let Mickey tell you about what's happened out in Arizona, when we talk about the interference, we want to clarify a definition in the policy of what is interference. Usually, like to correlate it with the state law on interference. Um, but, but Mickey, it looks like what's going on in Arizona took this thing to a whole new level, huh? Yeah. Uh, just to finish up what you were talking about, so the right to record is clearly established, and, and this is what all the courts are saying, subject to reasonable time 
place and manner restriction. So we always talk about, sir, ma'am, I need you to step back, stand right over there. Give those, uh, you know, clear verbal commands about where you need them to be as of not, not, and he could go away as in disappear off the face of the earth, but worried about weapon retention, the reasonable distance might be three feet, five feet, 10 feet. You've got an active shooter. You've got a bomb threat. The reasonable distance might be five blocks, but it's got to be based again on those, on those circumstances. And uh, just to review that though, Mickey, because that time, place, and manner is important for First Amendment. Can you just give a kind of a brief overview on uh, for officers when they're dealing with First Amendment issues? Yeah. Make sure that the only thing that's enforceable is time, place, and manner restrictions that are based in statute, uh, based in town ordinance or city ordinance, right? Well, or, you know, I, I'll give the officers that deference. At that moment, if you're worried about somebody being close enough to grab one of your weapons, I think that's a, an assessment that you can make that, sir, ma'am, I need you to step back. If there's a, you know, significant governmental interest, they're standing in the street, sir, I need you to step up onto the sidewalk. I don't want you to get hit by a car, public safety, clearly a, a, a governmental interest. But the other thing that you talked about in terms of interference, and we see that all the time, and Sometimes people equate annoyance with interference, a slight distraction with interference. It's got to be something more with it. It's got to be physically interfering, materially interfering, unduly interfering, some modifier. But having a policy that just says interfere is usually not going to be good enough unless you actually define what interference is. If you leave it as this vague term, that's going to be a problem. All right, so that brings us right to the next discussion point. Yeah. Tell everybody about uh, Arizona House Bill two three one nine because you know you know this, you know this uh, right down to the history. Sadly, I do. Uh, so, so um, uh, this bill was proposed uh, back at the beginning of this year, I believe, uh, and it basically set a distance of twenty feet. Uh, and if somebody was closer than 20 feet to a police officer, not anybody else, not an EMT, not a first responder, not a fireman, but, um, you know, to, uh, to a police officer, uh, that uh, the officer could say, you don't have permission to record me, stop recording or move back. Um, and uh, I, I heard about that a number of our members in Arizona complained, a number of news organizations complained. And so I drafted a letter uh, to the uh, uh, the House and Senate Judiciary Committees that were considering the bill. And I said, look, this bill is unconstitutional, it's drafted, and I gave them all the reasons why uh, there was a problem with it and asked them to reconsider and not move forward on the bill. And uh, my understanding is and there's there's some language, you know, in the legislative process that their own attorneys told them the same thing. So they reduced the distance down from 20 feet to eight feet. And uh, again, I said that, that that didn't cure the problem. All of the other things are still there. It's not a reasonable setting an arbitrary distance is not a reasonable time, place, manner restriction 
particularly when you've got a demonstration, when you've got multiple people with cameras and you've got multiple officers. Does that mean you ever see? I just see bad things. Like I see cops with like, like with uh, tape measures, like right. uh, pushing out right. the tape measure, going, "Okay, two feet more back, please." Yeah, you know, and then it, and then if you and it's just a, so it's a radius around the officers. It's not in front of the officer. So so now you step back two feet from that officer and get two feet closer to the one behind you. It it's like pinball. It's not going to work. And then if an officer approaches you and you're recording, do you have a duty to retreat? and keep back eight feet from them. Well, let's keep our distance. I'll talk to you, but I'm recording and you stay there and I'll stay. I mean, it's just, it, to me, it just didn't really make a, a whole lot of sense, but you know, as you and I, and, go ahead. One side of it, I say, okay, so the I, I get the concept of giving the officers some protections, but I also never like that because it's arbitrary. And when it's arbitrary, it just means some officers are going to do it correctly and some are going to abuse it. And then we're going to be stuck with a, a whole nother issue to deal with. Right. And the other problem was, it's like they didn't say no one can get closer than eight feet to an office, just someone with a camera who's recording them. Again, back to what I said. How about if you're with you're holding your camera out, but you're on speakerphone, and you're talking to your friend. Officer thinks you're recording him. I mean. But you don't have a camera, so I can stand right next to, on top of an officer, into that personal space, and I'm good. But the minute I pick up my cell phone and start recording, that becomes an issue. Again, it's it was just fraught with all kinds of problems, but uh, unfortunately, it passed along strict party lines. And then, uh, then, then it went to the governor for his signature. And I, I wrote a third letter, again, joined by about 20, all of the news organizations in Arizona and other ones, and pretty much um, uh, asked the governor, please uh, veto this bill. Uh, he didn't. And uh, the bill was due to become effective this month on the 24th. Um, and uh, so a number of those news organizations along with the ACLU in Arizona. Uh, they were all, again, very worried about it, as was NPPA. And so they uh, uh, brought, uh, sought a preliminary injunction in joining uh, the government uh, from uh, enforcing this law when it became effective, uh, and, uh, and then declaring that it's unconstitutional. There was a hearing last Friday uh, Interestingly enough, just before the hearing, both the state of Arizona's attorney general said, we're not a proper party and we're not planning to defend this law. Okay, we took note of that. And then, and then the Maricopa County attorney said, we're not a proper party. Uh, we never asked for this. Uh, we're not going to defend this law. And then the Maricopa County sheriff said, we really never asked for this law and we're not defending it. Um, but they were all named as as defendants in this. So at the hearing, they all showed up. A judge got on the bench. Uh, I attended telephonically. And the judge kind of telegraphed, uh, look, I read the papers. I understand everything. I, you don't have to go into a whole lot of detail. Uh, you know, does anybody have anything to say? And as you know, good lawyers, when a judge kind of says that, you just just stand there and, and listen and, you know, don't, don't talk yourself out of something. 
Uh, and so they said, no, no, down to, and, and ask the state attorney, ask the Maricopa County, everybody, but no, no, your honor, no. And literally within five minutes, he granted the preliminary injunction enjoining the state of Arizona from enforcing this law. And he said, so now we got to move to the next step of, is the law unconstitutional? Obviously, I'm not going to rule now because the question is, uh, and we brought it up, is you think somebody might intervene? Like the people that proposed the bill might appear and say, hey, or get someone on their behalf to say, we think that this law is proper. And the judge said, yeah, yeah, I think that that's a good thought, but I'm not going to give it forever. This case is highly publicized, given the fact that all the plaintiffs are all the media in the state of Arizona. There's been enough publicity about this. Plus, the attorney general said, we informed the legislature we weren't going to be defending this. So they're on notice already. They know uh, that we're not doing it. So the judge basically gave um, them until uh, this Friday. Uh, so gave them a week to say, anybody want to intervene, uh, speak up now or forever hold your peace. And uh, I, I realized, you know, we're taping this and I, I'm not sure when it's going to air, but at least uh, if no one moves to intervene in the next uh, two days, uh, I can't imagine that the judge isn't going to rule uh, the way he did, because normally when you grant a preliminary injunction, um, you, you look at the likelihood of success of the arguments. Right. Uh, and well, so when he intervenes is pretty successful. Uh, it's, it's pretty successful. So, so, you know, there you have it. And, you know, it's unfortunate because once again, uh, I think it's the, it's the taxpayers uh, that lose because somebody's going to end up paying for all of this legal stuff that went on, as opposed to had they just paid more attention to a simple letter and acted accordingly it would have saved the taxpayers a whole lot of money. Wow, that's interesting. So at some point, we'll have to have you back once it's over and you can give us, uh, hopefully it's as simple as that and no issue after that. But if there isn't, we'll definitely have you back to talk about that one again, that's for sure. I'm always happy to come back and talk to you. Um, so let's move on to s some new stuff. I know that you've been working with the Minnesota State Patrol uh, for training as part of a settlement agreement from a, a civil right a civil rights lawsuit that was filed against them based on protest and I know there's some fifth a fifth circuit law uh, came out that you can probably talk about but let's start with uh, so what's the stuff that you're doing and focusing on with the Minnesota State Patrol so um, uh, back during you know uh, the the protests in in 2020 uh, there were a lot of journalists interfered with arrested injured. Um, they actually brought a lawsuit against the Minneapolis police, uh, the Minnesota State Patrol, and a number of other defendants, uh, again, seeking uh, a preliminary injunction uh, and joining them from doing a number of things. Uh, and the judge at that time in 2020 uh, said, you know, I don't see the, the threat and the harm as being imminent. And he denied uh, that. And unfortunately, that behavior continued. Uh, journalists continued to be uh, arrested and interfered with. As a matter of fact, the U.S. press freedom tracker keeps track of all these things. And that was a watershed year. Uh, in, in, you know, in, in that year, uh, more journalists were arrested than ever before. 
and not just in Minnesota, but all over the country. Anyway, uh, they brought the lawsuit. They came back with the lawsuit in 2021, and the judge said, no, uh, you definitely have made your point. Uh, I'm granting a uh, preliminary injunction. Uh, and then eventually uh, that preliminary injunction uh, became uh, a permanent one. Um, and at the time, and but the lawsuit continued um, again on the merits and the Minnesota State Patrol, uh, as, as, as one of the defendants, uh, agreed to settle the matter uh, with the plaintiffs. And that settlement was agreed to in January of this year. Uh, cost taxpayers $825,000 to settle just that part of the lawsuit. And there were a number of things that went into place that uh, the Minnesota State Patrol was going to have to be wearing uh, body, cam uh, body cameras and be trained at it. And uh, a couple other things, but the, the, the main thing, at least for me, is that they were going to have to be uh, trained in First Amendment. Uh, and, you know, I had to respond to that. And the Minnesota State Patrol issued a new general order uh, dealing with First Amendment protests and pretty much incorporated a verbatim of the language from the settlement uh, into the the general order uh and it talked about that journalists were not subject to dispersal uh dispersal orders if there was an unlawful assembly declared that they uh were not subject uh to have less lethal weapons used against them and there was a whole list of things uh, that went on and the biggest question that you and i know that we've been dealing with over over all these uh, these years is who's a journalist? Who gets that action? Because, you know, we get hey, any clarity on that. And so they they actually put out in the uh, in the in the settlement and in the in the uh, general order, the indicia of being a journalist, you know, wearing a press credential, uh, carrying the professional equipment. I mean, it's certainly not an easy thing. If there was an easy answer to who was a journalist, uh, I probably could retire earlier. Um, but, but, but there isn't one, and that seems to be kind of the bane of everyone's existence. And and we're just talking about doing it on paper. I understand, you know, in the heat of the moment, uh, at night, uh, trying to figure out who's a journalist, who's not a journalist. And we've talked about this in training. You know, back in the day when I was out. Uh, shooting, you know, nobody else had cameras. There were no cell phones with cameras. It was like the media had cameras. Everybody else, they might remember if they went on vacation to bring their camera along, but normally on a regular day out on the street, they didn't have their camera with them. So it was pretty clear who was media, who wasn't media, um, but that's not so clear anymore. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, so that's what's out there. And then, so I did the training. Um, uh, uh, Colonel Langer of the uh, Minnesota State Patrol, uh, they had done a study actually with uh, a 21 CP uh, um, and uh, Kathleen O'Toole, uh, uh, and 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 pretty much looked at what what were some good things, what were some bad things, how to improve things, uh, and um, so I did the training, uh, made a number of trips, did them all in person. Um, uh, they were, they 
you know, they were well attended. We did them all over the state, um, you know, over a period of three months to make sure that everybody was able to be there. That, you know, wasn't like, well, on this day, somebody was on vacation and they couldn't make it. So, and um, they also videotaped it. But the one thing that was interesting is in the conversation with the colonel said, Vicki, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, Colonel. And he said, um, would it be okay if the media attended these trainings? And I, I actually laughed on the phone. He said, why is that so funny? He said, because I've been doing this now about 10, 12 years and trying to get the media in the same room as the police. And nobody wanted, they only wanted, you know, law enforcement to be in the room. And I, he said, no, 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 we, we'd like to invite him. I said, well, then you'll be the, the first that I know of. Uh, to allow that to happen, and and they did, and the media attended. And uh, when I looked out my window this morning, I think the sun still came up in the east. The world didn't come to an end, and uh, and and actually, everybody asked good questions. And that's one of the things I talk about all the time: is communicating, having these conversations about kind of the rules of engagement, what you can do, what you can't do beforehand, and have these ongoing conversations between law enforcement. And, and and the media, because law enforcement has a job to do, media has a job to do, neither's going away. They're usually going to be in the same place at the same time. So, so you know, as uh, Rodney King once said, can't we all just learn to get along? Yeah, well, it was, so uh, how was the classroom with both the media and the, uh, and, and the press together? I mean, it, it, you know, it, it went, it went well. It went, you know, it, it, it didn't seem to me any different than when the media wasn't there, other than the fact that there were some people that were not in uniform. And, and Vicki, are you still doing some of that training under that grant? That you have? Uh, I'm still doing some of the training under the grant. Uh, we have another year. So I'm really looking at 2023 uh, to, to schedule things. So if people want them, I did some, some others I did them uh, down in uh, with my, the Miami Dade police and some surrounding agencies there. Uh, uh, I've spoken at a number of other uh, conferences. I've done some uh, some podcasts and things. Um, so you know we're getting the message out, but we're also you know uh, planning on doing some in person because I don't think there's there's anything as you know uh, so well that nothing beats in person. Uh, in-person training where you can get that engagement, where you can get that dialogue, the things you don't get when you're doing it remotely. Right, right. And, and what is, if somebody's listening in their command staff or they want to bring it to their command staff, uh, um, what is the topics that you'll cover and how do they get a hold of you to do that? Uh, okay, so it's going to be first, fourth, uh, 14th Amendment, uh, right to record, uh, exigent circumstances, uh, dealing with uh, First Amendment auditors, as uh, you know, I hear that's a, a real uh, bane of, of people's existence. But it's it's also really training to what their general order, what their policies are. It's the first thing I, I will ask when someone comes. Like, I can train in the abstract. I can give you the 30,000-foot view, but, you know, I would much rather start there and then uh, hone in on what your specific policy is and, and talk about that. And, and it's funny because I did that in 2016 in Cleveland in preparation for the Republican National uh, uh, Convention. 
And Cleveland, when I looked at their order, they had a 21-foot distance. Uh, talking of back distances, I said, sorry, I'm not training to that. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, arbitrary distances are not reasonable time, place, manner restrictions. And uh, so they said, well, if we send it to you, can you maybe like wordsmith it a little? And I did. And that was gone. And they reissued a new general order just before the convention, just before my training. And I ended up training to that. And again, you know, things went really well. Uh, They're dealing with uh, whatever protests there were and people recording them. So, yeah, I'm just to get in touch with me. Uh, they, you know, I, I don't want you to have to be burdened with it, but if if they, they can't send us through the email, yeah, they can send it to you or it, I'm I, my email is really easy to remember. It's lawyer at NPPA.org. So if you hate lawyers, it's really easy to remember. Hey, 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 hey. you don't <laughs> want to give them any fodder. All right. Last, last thing I wanted to talk to you about, which I saw was interesting and you you know, you're always great for sending me updates to keep me updated on stuff because I don't do as much research as I would like to do nowadays. Um, but there was a interesting Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals case that came out having to do with uh, a violation of rights uh, by a journalist who was arrested, uh, I believe, for asking questions. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. So um, in this case, um, she was a, she was a blogger. She had about a hundred, and she she basically posted on Facebook. I mean, again, not a traditional mainstream journalist, but you know, one hundred twenty thousand people seeing what you have to say is a significant number, and um, and and so um, she reported on uh, uh, some things that involved the, a relative, a district attorney, at least the allegations and everything. Uh, he didn't like that. And um, then she found out about another incident that involved somebody from the Border Patrol. So as good journalists, and I think almost any police department that's got any media around, they know that the media often calls uh, the police agency to say, hey, can you tell us about this? Or can you confirm this? Or, you know, they don't want to just go out and report and then be fake news. They want to be accurate. And where are you going to get accuracy from? Well, you ask the people that are involved, the police department. You don't you don't call the sanitation department to find out about, you know, a fatal accident because they're not going to be the ones that have that information. And so she she called and got an officer on the line and, and they were able to confirm pretty much the facts that she had. And then then there was another incident and um, and uh, that I'm just actually looking. They, they confirmed that. And so, lo and behold, about six months after all this was going on, um, there was a warrant issued that she found out was issued for her arrest. Um, and um, they wanted to arrest her. Well, they, 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 they were charging her. Uh, let me see. They were charging her with a violation of, uh, of, of the Texas Penal Code, uh, Section 39 0.06c and that states a person commits an offense if with intent to obtain a benefit he solicits or receives from a public servant information that one the public servant has access to by means of his office or employment and two has not been made public uh, and then according to the arrest warrant 
that what she did was solicit or receive the names of, in this case, it was a suicide victim and a traffic accident victim. She had them already, but she was just calling to confirm them because would, would you want the wrong name to be reported? I don't think so. You know, family wouldn't want that. Um, uh, and, um, and, you know, maybe it was non-public because she was about to make it public. That's how things come public sometimes. Um, and they also allege that she received the benefit she received from publishing this information uh, before the other news media was that she gained additional followers. And, um, uh, you know, the, the lower court uh, gave, uh, gave the, 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 uh, the, the defendants there uh, qualified immunity. And, and that's why the case before the Fifth Circuit. And um, so what they ended up doing uh, is, well, this is some of the language uh, that, that they used uh, at the very top. Let's see. Uh, so this is like a retaliatory issue then. Okay. Yeah. They arrested her in retaliation on what she posted. Yeah. So uh, this is how they, their, their opinion almost started. If asking questions of a public official is not an obvious violation of the Constitution, it's hard to imagine what would be. Okay, you know you're not getting a good ruling if that's the first sentence you read. In a don't bother reading the rest of it. In, in a decision, and so uh, and then at the end, just before they uh, issued uh, their holding, uh, they said it is not a crime to be a journalist, as the Institute of Justice rightly observes. The posi position urged by the city of Laredo—that's where this case took place. In this case, is a is, is dangerous to a free society for it assumes that the government can choose proper and improper channels for news gathering, indeed, that the government can decide what is and is not newsworthy. And, you know, oftentimes people say, why, why is the media here? This, is, this isn't a story. Well, you know, what, what this court's saying is government doesn't get to decide that. And so what they ended up doing is they reversed the judgment of the district court judge dismissing her first, fourth, and fourteenth amendment claims. Again, see those those three usually work together, as well as her civil conspiracy claims. Uh, we affirm the district court's judgment dis dismissing her municipal liability claims against the city of Laredo, and we remand for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. And then there was a concurring and a dissenting uh, opinion. Uh, in that it ended up, uh, I think it was over 50 pages long, but you kind of can hopefully see the handwriting on the wall, like not really a good idea if you're not happy about things. I think you've often said, uh, even when you do an introduction, it's like you don't pick fights with people who buy ink by the barrel. Uh, and I realize it's a very old statement because ink's not used all that much anymore, but I think uh, you know, that pen is mightier than the sword might be another good analogy. So now the, now the ink goes in the printer. Exactly. And, and your cartridge is low. <laughs> uh, well, Mickey, uh, that's that's so the right now we got to keep an eye on what happens in with the Arizona case. Right. And uh, anything else? And the Fourth Circuit. The fourth, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to coming to your use of force. Uh, we're looking forward to having you. So, so let's talk about that for a second, just to give everybody uh, 
what are what are our plans for the for the summit this year? Well, I think uh, you and I were were uh, kind of brainstorming a little, and uh, and I think a lot of folks have heard me uh, talk about uh, again all, all the things that I would do in training for individual departments, and, and so maybe to change things up a little, I, I think you and I are gonna kind of continue uh, some of this conversation uh, with some of the newer things that will have developed in the next uh, two months. Uh, I'm sure things things will be happening, but. Also, some practical advice, you know, some some real life scenarios in terms of how to deal with the media uh, when something has happened. You know, we can't obviously come up with a one size fits all uh, what to say and what to do. But I think we can give some some, you know, very uh, good advice as to how to deal with the media in the best way, because, you know, as often said, the cover up is usually far worse than the crime. And so, uh, you know, some little thing can really get blown out of proportion if, if people make it seem like it's something that it isn't. Well, I hope that one of the things we can do, Mickey, is show that just our relationship together, even though, you know, you have a slight bias wearing a uniform, but, <laughs> but in the aspect of, you know, the need to form partnerships with your press and the importance of that and you know, they're not going away and we're not going away, like you said many times. So we have to find a way to, to operate in harmony with each other. Yeah. I'm, and my, my bias, and you've heard me say this, is threefold. Uh, the first one is that officers and departments don't get sued. The second one is that journalists get to do their job. But most importantly, and the real basis of the First Amendment, is the public gets to be informed. Uh, you know, the, the founders didn't go out of their way to put the First Amendment freedom of the press uh, in there um, because they had nothing better to do. I mean, no other profession is mentioned anywhere in the Constitution. And it's because they realized that the only way that there's an informed electorate is if there's someone to inform them. Now, obviously, they never figured on, you know, the Internet and social media and all these other ways we have of people being able to be informed directly, but still for the most part, uh, people get their news uh, from the media in one form or another. And so I think that that's why it's so important uh, that that we discuss these things and I love doing it with you. Well, I, I truly appreciate uh, you taking your time out of the busy days you always do to give us a brief update on all the good stuff and uh, and we know we'll have you back in the future because the one thing we can guarantee you is that we're nowhere near done with the First Amendment. That's for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, and really, you know, it's a, it's my a privilege and honor and it's a real passion, as you know, to be doing this. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you and I appreciate all you do to try to merge those worlds together. So uh, and that I will leave you and and like to leave as we always do remember help those who need your help protect those who need your protection and most importantly keep yourself and others safe thank you mickey appreciate you be well